Hello and welcome to another episode of the Lewis and Kyle Show, an interview podcast featuring conversations with fascinating entrepreneurs, investors, and experts in a huge variety of topics. Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with Jeremiah Prummer. Jeremiah is the founder of a company called No Commerce. And if you don't know about No Commerce, they are a software company that is changing the way e-commerce brands collect and leverage first-party data. Of course, over the course of this conversation, we explain what all of that means and why it matters. In addition, Jeremiah and I discuss the challenges of understanding customer behavior in a digital context and how his company, No Commerce, aims to solve that problem. We discuss how Jeremiah created this company in the first place and how they got all of their first customers and figured out their business model and all those good things. We also discuss Jeremiah's career path overall and the early projects he has done that led him to this point in life. And as always, if you are familiar at all with The Lewis and Kyle Show, you'll know that we discuss a whole lot more. That's all I have to say about this conversation before we get started. So enjoy this conversation with Jeremiah. I'm going to switch over to it now. Jeremiah, welcome to the show. I think we're going to have lots of fun stuff to chat about today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Before we were recording, you had asked me basically my progression from like when I started the podcast till present day. So I'm kind yeah. of curious to flip the script and ask you like, Brahma, when you're graduating college, maybe 21, 22, uh, what's like the quick kind of, these are the steps and major career points before where I am now at No Commerce? Yeah, that's a great question. So my first startup actually was in college. I thought like you've got a similar sort of experience. So yeah, we, we started a text message marketing company in 2010, probably too early. <laughs> we were about five years too early on that. So there's one, no Twilio yet, right? Beginning days of Twilio. Twilio was actually okay. how we were delivering our, our messages. So this was like, yeah, very early Twilio. They were still private companies, super small compared to what they are now for sure. So, so yeah, we did that. Did not go very well. And then from there, I got into e-commerce. So I started building WooCommerce extensions in 2012. And so, yeah, all open source software. I've kind of had a, a variety of things over the years that I've been doing. But yeah, the, the path has really been more e-commerce focused since 2012. So I had my own brand for a little bit. Uh, started an agency as well. Helped a friend build his agency. And then in 2020... I have a friend who owns a marketing agency. Uh, his name is Pearson. It's called Lunar Solar Group. And he said, hey, we've been planning on building this, the tech company for a while. Let's make it happen. And so 2020 was when we launched No Commerce. And that's really not what we're doing today. I, uh, I appreciate the speed for that because that lets me kind of choose where I want to jump in uh, to the different parts of that. So were you studying, like, when did you learn to code? I'm assuming that like, you're building these plugins yourself. Like, where was that in your journey? Yeah. That's a good question. So my very first experience writing code was um, I took a an English class in high school and my my teacher let us do book reports as websites. And so it's just literally like inline CSS on an HTML page, like super basic. Turned it in on floppy disks because that was like early 2000s, mid 2000s, I guess. That was my first experience. And then from there, I, I got into like using PHP some and then it was... Yeah, jQuery was hot, right? So did a lot of, with jQuery. And then that's kind of like the the WordPress tech stack, right? So did a lot with with WordPress for a long time. But yeah, I just just self-taught, just learn on the fly. Lots of uh, Stack Overflow, copy-paste, and make it work the way I want it to work. So that's probably the experience for a lot of self-taught programmers. And debugging. 
Yeah, we are, so like our our technology is like a one click install on Shopify. But if you're non Shopify, there's a a JavaScript snippet you have to add. So the other day, like one of our uh, our support guys sent me the script. He was like, "Hey, can you help me figure out why this wasn't working?" I just dropped into ChatGPT. It was like, "Hey, can like." Basically, the script wasn't being loaded in the right spot. And so I just had to like rewrite the script that they were adding. And it just did it for me in a few seconds. And uh, yeah, very, very different. I just, I mean, I guess like 10 years ago, you could post on Stack Overflow. And then somebody would be like, you're an idiot. Why are you posting this? <laughs> but yeah, so even that context is different, right? Like you would back it back then it was like, okay, I don't want to post something and look like a fool. But now you can just drop it into chat GPT. And there's not that aspect of it. Yeah, I have an RSS feed for Upwork jobs that match like a specific search criteria to help us find like freelance jobs for for the consulting firm. Mm-hmm. And someone put one in. And so like RSS feed, I get a notification the second this job is posted. And it's like, I need, you know, some regex. So basically for people who don't know what that is, it's like, I need help matching like a pattern in text to do a mm-hmm. particular thing. So if I get an email that says all these things, you know, there's a series of conditions where I want this to happen. And I want this information extracted from the text and it's formatted this way. And I literally, this was like the week it came out. I put it, I copied that job description, I put it into, you know, the chat engine and then put in my proposal. I was like, within like four minutes, I was like, here's the exact solution for how you want. If you need help implementing it, let's hop on a call and just like charge you hourly just to like the 20 minutes we're on the phone together where I plug this in. And it's just, it's, uh, it's a it, bit of a sidebar, but it was so crazy. Well, I just Red knew Jack- for a fact this guy was going to reply because yeah. I sent him like the fully worked out solution in 45 seconds. So crazy. And regex, at least for me, is like, it's hard for me to like, just the way that it's structured. I always have a hard time. Like, it it takes me a lot, a lot of time to actually like build out a a proper regex statement. So yeah, that's like, I don't know. I I think that's super cool. The fact that like, to a computer, a character is a character, like it doesn't matter. To me, my human brain, like looking at something, it's just a lot harder for me to interpret it. So yeah, it's that's a that kind of power of chat GBT is just incredible as far as I'm concerned. And I think we'll kind of pick this back up towards the end of talking about like automating insights because that's kind of like the mm. the next step, right? It's like, mm-hmm. okay, here's a bunch of data, make an insight out of it versus, yep. which is kind of like back to like ambiguous queries from like yep. AI versus like a very direct one is like, I need this to be done, write a solution that does it. Yeah. But, so that's something we can, we can pick back up. A couple of quick questions then. What? was the reason that the text messaging startup failed besides like what do you mean like those two early yeah so 2010 we had so at the time i think the rules have changed a little bit since then if you wanted to send a marketing message it had to be through a through a short code so like the the i think it's five or six digit phone numbers and i think it's still the case where you have to like you basically have to like buy a license for the License isn't the right word, but anyway, you buy the number. It's like fifteen hundred bucks a month. You pay quarterly. Basically, like we were bootstrapping it. We were college students. We spent nine thousand dollars on a short code and didn't get much in terms of revenue very quickly. So, like, we just didn't have the cash for it. And so, like, that was problem number one. Problem number two is that like our target was small businesses. We were really trying to to get local like bars and restaurants and things like that to to text their customers and with offers and they just weren't in. So it, when it was all said and done, our only real customers were politicians. We had a few politicians who, cause it was like campaign season. They okay. were all about it. Um, you said this like 2012? 
or 2011, 2012? 20, so. 2010. So it was... Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Or no, that midterms. was leading into... It was midterms, yeah. So that was... It was uh, like smaller local politicians, right? So they're all about it, but then like campaign season ends and they don't care anymore. I mean, they're they don't have a use case. So, yeah. So I think it was... I think it was doable, but it just was like so much education. And the idea of sending a text to somebody just wasn't like wasn't something brands cared about. I think a lot of that shift has been because of a digital commerce, right? So um, it's just a different context. Like there's no real way to get close to your customer in a digital context. And so a phone number or like having that direct access to a cell phone is about as close as you can get. And at that time, it was like the rise of the smartphone where everybody had that's a good tr- that's notifications, a good right? So like at the time, everybody listened, to, like paid attention to every notification. And then now like everybody has their notifications muted or maybe not all no- notifications, but it's just a different context. So yeah, timing wise, I think it was just a, a tough one. That makes sense. Now, it's interesting to see the thread from kind of what you're doing today in terms of like, you know, trying to continue to understand customer strengths, <laughs> yeah. behaviors, and specific behaviors. Yeah. How that's like a consistent thread through the entire chain, right, of your of your career. Yeah, yeah. Where was the, so you, you did the agency thing for a while, you're kind of also doing some plugins, and maybe mm-hmm. kind of towards the end, and like the bonus question, I had asked like what a specific plugin was, but that might be side flaw yeah. here for now. What was the moment catalyzing no commerce, which to my understanding had a different name at first? That's a great question. So... Pearson, who owns Learner Solar Group and and who was a co-founder and no commerce, uh, he and I first met in I think it was 2013. He was a brand owner at the time. I was building e-commerce tech, and we worked together for years on and off on different projects. And so the big issue that and when he launched his agency, I helped him out for about a year. But I'm I don't love agency work. <laughs> I'd rather be like building the software. So Anyway, the I'd say that like the moment was was really when we're like, okay, what do we want to build? And the problem that we both kept coming back to was this idea of like, who is your customer? Like in a digital context, you just don't know who your customer is. You have very little idea like who they are, what they're interested in, why they buy things. So a lot of what we do today is attribution surveys, but that really wasn't the initial intent. And frankly, it's not like where we're going long term. I mean, we'll, we'll always do attribution surveys. It's a very, very good use case for our product, but it's not really the most important thing as far as we're concerned. And so it's really like, who is, who is that customer? How do I understand them better? And what is it that motivates them? And I think that's like just with, with both of us having at that point, he had about 10 years of e-com experience. I had eight, like the, the amount of, it's call it almost 20 years combined, right? Like, Neither of us felt like there were in that 20 years of experience that there was actually like a good way of solving this problem. And so that was really why we set out to solve the problem. Can you add some color to what you mean in terms of like knowing who your customers are? Like what's the yeah. missing information? Because right, you can see mm-hmm. in your analytics, like age, demographic, location, yep. maybe some preferences still. I don't know. That could might be still a little fluffy now. But yeah, what was missing? Like or what were you trying to know? Like, where's the gap? Yeah. Yeah. So I think the, like, one of the ways I like to talk about this is when I was a, a kid, my parents owned a small health food store and I worked there starting when I was 10 years old. And so somebody would walk in the door and I knew 
like online, we know, we know buying habits and, and all that kind of stuff like that data that you're describing. But I didn't know, uh, in, in store, you actually know who a person is, right? So like, you know why they're buying a specific because they have an allergy or it's because their daughter likes the product or it's because they are, they have a family of six and like this one's less expensive than that one, right? You actually learn those things about somebody because you have a face-to-face interaction with them. You can see how they're dressed. You can see what kind of car they drive. You just know a lot more about a person and the little things that actually are making a lot of those decisions in terms of how they actually spend their money, right? So like how many, the who you're buying for uh, has a massive impact on what you actually buy. We actually just hired someone recently who's running marketing for us, who's just like like consumer psychology is her thing. And so like she likes to talk about generational buying differences. Like each generation thinks about the way that they buy products differently and are motivated by different things. So like some generations are more motivated by security. Some are more motivated by like usually it comes down to like being different than your parents, right? Like we all have this like feeling of wanting to be a little bit different. And so there's like generational patterns that emerge that's based off of like the way that the previous generation behaved and all of that has a massive impact on the way people buy products and so i would say like short answer i don't understand all this i don't think anybody understands all of it there are a lot of people who understand more than me and what i'm really trying to do is like combine all these things together into a a piece of technology that actually helps brands better understand these things in a way that is uh something they've never had access to before so the core of the implementation in terms of like how you help Brad realize this mm-hmm. is there's all post-purchase surveys embedded in email. Am I oversimplifying? Yeah. So, so there's really 90% of the surveys we deliver are on an order confirmation screen. So when somebody fills out a, or, or complete the purchase, they have the ability to fill out a survey. Part of that is because that's uh, the marketing attribution piece is the number one use case for our software today. So that's a big piece of it. So you're trying to collect as much data as you can as fast as you can. And that's a really good context for it. We typically see about half of customers filling out a survey. So I think that the global average is 45%. So like last month, we had three and a half million questions answered on our platform. 45% of people that were shown a survey answered a question. So it's pretty powerful. So that's like context number one. Context number two is like an email survey. So send, send an email with a link to a survey. Somebody fills that out. So that's the second area. And then we do have the ability to just kind of like embed a survey on a website that is less used, but is totally doable. So those are the three places that we put surveys currently. The type of insight that we're talking about now is the comment I would have on that is it's really hard for brands to understand what questions to ask. And so that is a piece of where we're trying to move in the future is how do we, how do we help brands collect the right data so that they actually can understand what's happening? Uh, We do a lot right now through education to these customers, but the reality is that most brands, certainly under 100 million a year online, and even a lot that are over 100 million, like in that one to 500 million, they don't really have in-house resources to help them understand these things. And I, I mean, with your business, you get that, right? Like how many brands are in that, you know, 50 million a year plus range that you're you're doing the work that you're doing for it because they just don't have internal resources to, to be able to support them and the internal expertise. So it's with what we do, it's the same sort of problem. Like it's a very specialized skill set and there's not many people who can do it. And most of these brands, even at very large scale, don't have access to those resources. Yeah. And even if someone knows how to do it, right, it just comes back to 
everyone's kind of busy and oversaddled yep. with enough stuff on their plate and to do it well, you have to have the space to think strategically about what you're yes. doing. Because that's something and, I try to like yep. get right in my messaging to people is, because I mean, a lot of what we do, some of it's super advanced, right. but a lot of times people just want a very basic dashboard built. Mm-hmm. You know, they have these questions answered for them automatically. And my pitch is like, I'm doing this for you because you don't know how. Like people don't like to yeah, do it, right? That's true. They, it's, I'm doing this for you because you are too busy to do this and yeah. business will grow faster if you, you know, depending on what the person's role is, maybe, maybe yep. let's say they're the media buyer, right? Or maybe they're in charge of like the making the creative for advertisements or something. It's like, yep. I know you could do this. I'm sure you took an Excel class in college. I'm sure you're like very intelligent. I'm sure you got a good score on your math SATs. That's not the point. Like, I'm not trying to say like, I'm mm-hmm. this wizard and you're this like idiot. It's like, you just need to make ads. Yeah. You need to do data. <laughs> it's like, right. it's just Which, teaching people like that you have to let go of different yeah. things to like grow. And thank you for saying that because that's a much more fair way of saying what I was trying to say. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's not that somebody like you can run a survey, you can pull down the data, can layer a bunch of different things, but there's a difference between like, like in our context, we look at this data every single day, right? So like we know patterns to look for. So that's like on a human level, that's, that's one piece of it. And so like what we're trying to get to is how do we make a machine look for those patterns as well? So that you don't like, if you're just taking a raw data set, you've never looked at it before, you're going to say, okay, I don't, it's going to take me time to understand this. Like I'd have to dig in, I have to look at different things. But if you have a machine that's looking at the same set of questions a thousand times and is delivering insight based off of that, going to be much, much faster, especially if it's a machine doing it right, just because it's like chat GBT, uh, it could do it almost instantly, whereas like we need to actually uh, it takes us longer to, to think through that process. Exactly. So how, uh, I mean, lots of questions. How did you get your first customers for this? Customers in terms mm-hmm. of the online brands using your products, not the end consumers filling out the surveys. Right. And then what's been your, because that's something I've been learning as well. So like you have to unbundle the, you know, the data partner because it's like there's mm-hmm. the collection, they're yep. the teaching people what to collect, they're structuring the yep. information stuff that you collect. And then there's actually also like, building reports and there's like making recommendations based on the report. So mm-hmm. how did you get the first customers? And did you come in saying, we'll do all of all five of these discrete steps for you? Or is that something yeah. that kind of varies? Yeah, good question. So very first customers, most of them came through the agency that we're working with and, and who basically funded our development. From there, it's grown a lot. So like at the time, when we first started, our biggest brands that we worked with were, I mean, maybe 10 million a year in revenue. We now have a bunch that are over a hundred million a year. And part of that's just reputation, right? Like you build up over time, like people get to trust that you actually know how to handle the data, the scale for it, all of those things matter. And those things do take time <laughs> too. So I think like that's, that's one thing that I think is really important too. It's, I see this all the time and this was us uh, a year and a half ago. We came into the market and we had like, we built out a really compelling product because we didn't have anybody using it. Like we knew what we, what the goal was, we we're trying to get there. And so we came, we essentially came to market with something that had never been done before in our space. And it was really powerful and easy to sell. And while our competitors are like, they're still trying to catch up to us, even though like we just to be perfectly honest, we haven't changed a ton. It's just been optimizing what we have over the last year. And so they're all like trying to catch up. But because they have people using something already, it's extremely challenging to actually make that happen. So I think that's something that people often 
startups can take for granted is like it's super easy to build something and then once you're in market like everything slows down so much especially if it's like a platform where you've got like a ton of different people using it for different use cases so in terms of like the problems we're trying to solve it's really the data like data collection and education i think is the what we've done a pretty good job of i wouldn't say perfect but like i think we've done a good job overall the hard part is like and this is what i want to be able to solve for is actually giving somebody the insight and telling them what to do with it and i think that's massively challenging yeah it's a it's a big problem so we haven't solved for it but that's definitely like that's the goal yeah one thing again i haven't solved that problem either but i've been in a very similar mindset trying to sell something that like at the center is data Mm -hmm. and again that's very vague and ambiguous but that's like it's not inaccurate to say that at the center of what we're doing is data yep and with everything I've been learning in like B2B sales, it's like, okay, just tie everything to revenue, tie everything to revenue, and then yeah. you just justify yourself. And it's like, it's an easier sell. And then, well, how do you do that? It's like, okay, well, make the recommendation is like the, mm-hmm. the next yep. thing. And so just the narrowing, what I found is like, and maybe this is very self-evident too, but it's like the narrower of scope mm-hmm. of what you're doing, the more likely yep. you could like scope in terms of like the types of questions you're asking and the types yep. of insights, like it's kind of like building a playbook, right? That's like, okay. Yep. And I'm sure you have internal playbooks of like, these are all the things that brands, when they find this out about their customer can usually Mm. use one of these 15 things to go make money or like go correct some mistake or go make something more efficient in their, some piece of their sales stack. Yeah, for sure. And that was the problem we had, like go to market initially was our technology can do the hundred different use cases that can solve for it's more than that, but there's so many different things you can do. And yeah, people need to be told like, what's the outcome? So like a, a really good example of that we have with attribution surveys, we, we recommend asking at least three questions. So how did you first hear about us? What brought you to our site today? And how long did you know about us before placing your first purchase? And then in our platform, we can build what we call audiences based off of customer data and also like responses to questions. So you can build an audience of people who found you on TikTok as, as an example. And then you can look at the how did you... F- uh, how long did you know about it before making your first purchase question? So you're try- trying to understand the time of, from discovery to purchase and break that down by the channel on which they remember discovering a brand. And so TikTok and YouTube are typically very long. So it will take somebody months oftentimes to purchase if they discovered a brand on TikTok or YouTube. Google is the exact opposite. If somebody finds a brand on Google, it's usually within 24 hours that they purchase. And so... The, and the reason for it, if you think about it, makes total sense. Like, and I mean, this, this is going to make sense to you. And this is something we're just trying to like get people thinking about more. When somebody finds your product on Google, it's because they're in problem solving mode. They have a problem. They're looking for a solution. And so all they need to do is go, they're, they're searching for a solution to their problem. At that point, all you have to sell them on is why your product is the best solution for their problem. If somebody is on TikTok and they see an ad, they like baby products are a great example you could be a woman who is three months pregnant and you see an ad on tiktok for a six-month-old baby onesie and you're like oh that's super cute i love that you're a year away from actually needing that product even though you're the right target customer and you're in entertainment mode you're not going to stop what you're doing to go to that website and buy a product that you're not going to use for another year and so like you are going to show up on that google search a year later but you actually discovered it on tiktok and so like that's a very, very specific use case where we're trying to say, hey, ask these three questions, create this audience, 
and will tell you that, hey, your customers who find you on TikTok take longer to purchase, so you should expect to spend more money at what looks like a lower uh, success rate initially, and you're going to see that impact in a month or three or six months. But that's hard to... It's hard to take that from like, a, okay, hey, does TikTok work to like, here's how you find out if it actually works. And when you do that, then people are like, yes, I want this. How do I pay you more money to figure this out for me? But when it's like, like you're saying, kind of starting from like that high level of like, not knowing, you need a specific deliverable, I guess, from, from the product and from that concept that you're trying to get at. There's so many series of learnings. It's so fun. Just uh, in all of this, it's like, I, you know, yeah. On a lot of my early sales calls, like, like, what do you do in data analytics? I'm like, anything. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever you need. <laughs> Whatever like, you need. Okay, yeah. Exactly. Right. It's just not, it's just not real in their, in their minds. Yeah. Why this translates yeah. to anything. Do you have a solutions consulting arm of your business or are you just a platform with like educational resources and like best practices? Yeah. So just platform with educational resources and best practices. We're trying to stay out of services as much as possible. But like one of the things that we do is our, we have two pricing plans. So, and super affordable. It's like, we don't charge hardly anything. It's $99 a month for like our base plan and 250 for the, the more advanced plan. And the one that's 250 a month comes with a Slack channel if you choose. So like, that's a really good way for us to. It's like community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and it's a, the dedicated space for your brand as well. So like any questions you have, you just drop them in there. It's actually great for finding support issues faster. Like that's the, like if there's a support issue, that's going to be the spot where they go to and like bugs and things like that come through a lot faster in terms of getting eyeballed on it, trying to understand what's going on, fixing it. So that's been a helpful thing. That's and a really nice just, hybrid model. Yeah, it's kind of, we're exactly, yeah, we're trying to be a hybrid with that. And it's actually, I don't want to give away too much here, but <laughs> it's not as much work as you'd think it would be. So it's it's an interesting model. We really like it. We're trying to lean into that more. The problem is like, what do you do when you have, like we just introduced this on a plan like four months ago and we already have over a hundred Slack channels. Like how, like it's it raised the becomes rates. a lot. It's mix, yeah. Slack more expensive <laughs> is what you do. Right, yeah. And that's maybe what we you just, just gave like, it. an add-on, right? Just, yeah. 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 Slack's not free anymore. Sorry, guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's interesting. And I, I think it's just like, how do we, we always want to have two or three people on our team on a Slack channel, like which two or three people is the, maybe me, Jeremiah, as a CEO, like right now I'm in every Slack channel because we're a fairly small team still, but like that's, that gets to be a lot. So anyway, it's, a, it's an interesting model where it's like, okay, hey, we're here to help you, but we're not going to like hop on a call for an hour and talk through everything with you. So we're trying to kind of balance the, the two for sure. And if you have questions about installing a tag on your site, you can uh, use Google, <laughs> not us. Right. Yeah. So, it, I mean, we try, we, yeah, we, we help as much as we can, but at the end of the day, there's, it's like, okay, like, hey, this isn't really like something weird. We're not best suited to help you with this problem. So, yeah, that makes sense. We were diving into TikTok for a second. Hmm. Let's discuss how that's kind of been part of the strategy. I know, I think it's been like a month or two since you actually created a formal partnership with them. Uh, yeah. How did that come about and what does that entail? Yeah, it's a good question. So the ad network space for online ads, at least, has, has gotten really interesting in the last two years. So the iOS 14.5 update that added a bunch of privacy, basically like data lock uh, gating, 
came out almost two years ago now. So like things have really changed in that time frame. I would say like at that time, people trusted Facebook ads platform manager with like telling them whether they were driving sales. And I would question how accurate that was, uh, but it gave people numbers that they trusted. And so they were all about it. And then the data went away and the numbers didn't make sense and it didn't work and nobody trusted it. And so that's led to the rise of like Triple Whale and North Beam. And us, frankly, like a lot of like a lot of the impact that we've had is I think prior to that, most people were using our technology more if they did like connected TV type stuff. So now like any sort of online ad, people are trying to use our technology. But I think what's really interesting is TikTok and that process, they were still relatively new. And so I, I don't think they had the same sort of like identity around ads that Facebook had at that time. And so anyway, fast forward, we started talking to TikTok last year. I think it was April, May, something like that. And they were super interested in our platform because a lot of advertisers are actually using our platform to scale TikTok ads. So uh, like one brand that we work with, they started at basically zero. They started spending 5K a month in TikTok ads and then kept ramping up to the point where they're spending like half a million a month on TikTok because they could see the results in the survey platform. And they did that within six months. So like pretty fast ramp up to half a million in ad spend. And that was the story we were hearing from TikTok a lot is that brands were using our platform for that. So they've really leaned in to surveys as the best way to track TikTok ads or one of the best ways. I, I think they probably say best, but anyway, it's if not if not the best, one of the best. And so, yeah, we're partnered with them now. They actually get brand ad credits to use our software, which is super cool. Uh, so is it like five, is it still $5,000 for? Yeah. Yep. So up to $5,000. Did you qualify for? Oh yeah. It's going to up to. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's What's the qualifier there? Uh, I think. And by the time that that comes out, it's probably yeah, totally it different. different yeah. <laughs> but as of right now, it's, I believe up to 2000, if you spend 2000 on ads, okay. um, and it's more then, like a matching type thing. Yeah. The first 2000. And then you get the 5,000 credit if you spend at least 10,000 in a week for an average of four weeks, I believe is the the criteria. So okay. I don't actually manage that program. It's somebody else on our team who's in charge of all that. But yeah, it's really that's interesting. A big, I mean, that's like, a big show of support though from them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're, they're giving a bunch of money to our mutual customers. And I mean, it, it essentially covers the cost of our software for two years for people who, who actually get that credit. So yeah, massive for us, massive for them. And basically what they're doing is they're just getting as many advertisers as possible connected. They're pulling that survey data through the API, and then they're using it for ultimately the, the goal, I believe, is, uh, and again, don't, who knows what this will look like in, in six months, but the idea is that that data will be available for helping to optimize ad spend in, in the context of TikTok ads. So yeah, it's it's just interesting to, because they they are very, it's just different, right? Like they, they started their, their ad business at a different time than Meta did. And I think that they've really leaned into like, okay, the world isn't the way it was previously. We've got to think about this differently. So I have a lot of respect for that, for sure. I mean, there's no behavior change. It's just a new platform. Just, it's yeah. just a fresh paradigm. Yep. You said they're exactly. uploading the survey data back into the ad platform for you, or is that an integration you built? I mean, that's kind of like a, a niche yeah. question, but we've been, we've been playing around a lot with like the whole conversion API space and like finding out yeah. how, how lucrative of a business is hiding that or not. Yeah. But, Good like, question. It, yeah. They, so they're using, uh, they're pulling data from our API. So 
basically like a merchant says, okay, I want to connect my data to TikTok. They generate their API keys, all that stuff in our system. And then TikTok has access to that data. So is it um, only for standardized set of questions? No, it could be any question. We do have a standard that we recommend. And so like with us and TikTok, we're constantly communicating on like, what are the right questions to be looking at? All that kind of stuff. But yeah, there's a, there's a recommended set of questions, but technically somebody could, could uh, ask whatever they want to. To have that feedback into like informing the advertisement decisions in the algorithm has to be somewhat templated. Yes, that's the, this, and that's the point. trick of, yeah, for sure. And this is why like, okay. this, is the pro- this is the process. Like that's definitely, right now, the like advertisers are getting ad credits to connect the data, but TikTok is doing a lot of work on their end, I'm sure, to make sure that it's, it's the right data in the right context. So the templatizing, though, helps for sure. Like, that's one thing that we do a really good job of. And we're trying to lean into that more. And, and basically, like, anybody that signs up through as a mutual customer, we're definitely, like, saying, here's, here's what you need to be asking so you're getting the right data into TikTok. And I'm sure what they're looking at is, like, okay, we're just going to filter out data that's not right and only use data that's, like, coming from the right source. So... That's definitely an interesting problem. <laughs> Clean data is like, yeah, I, I mean, one of the things, sorry, there's a bit of a tangent, but going back to like what you're talking about with AI and basically delivering insight with AI, I do believe you have to have kind of a, a clean data source to start with, or at least some expectations of what the data should be about in order for that to happen and be done well. Yeah, I think that's, this is also tangential, but I think that's somewhat the, the ambition of like scale AI, like that startup. Okay. Yeah. It's like creating clean data yeah. sets at scale, which is yeah. the name. So it's so hard, man. We've been doing some experimentation around like that, like clean data sets and trying to get brands to use like the exact same question, same like mm. response options, all of that. Uh, or, or like you use some AI to clean the data, right? You go like create and it. That's, yeah. Yeah. And that's not create a separate doing... model to trade the model. Yeah, that makes sense, actually. Yeah, I'm not we're not keeping up with that. So apologies. You definitely skip ahead <laughs> 30 seconds if that was just uh, too much. But yeah, we're not doing that yet. But that's like, that's the idea, right? So like, because the variation is still somewhat predictable or bounded. Yeah, for sure. Like the, like, if you ask somebody, if the question is, how did you first hear about us? Like the possible response options to that question kind of don't matter. Like you can build like AI is actually a, a relatively easy use case. Fire or a categorizer. Yeah, exactly. Like that's a relatively easy buckets. use case. Yep. What gets harder is when somebody changes the question because like, how did you first hear about us? This is fundamentally different than how did you hear about us? They're actually like, like it can result in different data. And so like, that's the big thing. It's like, if a brand wants to do that differently, then it's actually like you're 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 asking a different question and the results of that are going to be different. And so I don't know, I could be wrong. I just don't know that AI actually solves that problem. I think you still have to have like a clean data set with like the same question being answered, or at least the same intent from that. Like, how did you discover us? How did you hear about us? Those are the or how did you first discover us and how did you first hear about us? How did you first find us? Like that first is the important word there because it's it's guiding that person to that the first time they remember you. If you leave that out, then it's it's looking at uh, it's leaving it open to interpretation, right? It could be the first time they remember hearing about you. It could be the last yeah, time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's it's fully up to interpretation. 
And so in that context, like it's different and the results be different. So it's a, it's a really challenging problem because then at the other, the other piece of this is like, are people telling the truth? Do they remember? Like there's all those components too. So everything is like, this is not like a hundred percent perfect and true. Uh, it's more like directionally, are you getting the insight you need and, and able to make decisions based off of that? Is there something else besides the TikTok partnership that was like a really big, kind of like 10x accelerant? I want to fill a place for the business that like really helps things pick up. Yeah, that's a good question. Man, I don't know. In terms of like 10x accelerant, I think the like we work with a lot of marketing agencies. So, and just like from a organizational approach, our we talk about this internally a lot. Our goal is to be as helpful as possible to everybody. So our industry, our partners, our customers, we even joke that we're helpful to our competitors because we're setting the pace and the tone and giving them something to to kind of go after. So like, that's the way that we think about, about our business. And I think like leaning into that through agency partnerships and technology partnerships has been really, really powerful for us. Just because like those, like when you come into that relationship and you're like, hey, we're here to help you, like, what do you need? How do we help you get the data and insight that you need for your clients. I think that's just a different context even than than saying like, hey, here's the thing, sell it to your client and we'll give you 20%. That's probably been more impactful even than the TikTok partnership. But um, yeah, those two things have definitely been impactful over the last six months in particular. Yeah, it's something I want to write down. Just like one to many sales have been so, I mean, that's like only one like way to summarize that. There's more you said there yep. besides like one to many sales. But yep. A one-to-many sales strategy just is a multiplier in and of itself. For sure. If it works. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, for us, it's like, you don't, like, an agency has 20 clients. You don't go in and, like, get all 20 clients at once. That's just not how it works. And I know with what you're talking about, like, this has probably been some of your experience, too. You have an agency you're partnered with and you're doing work for, but it's, like, one client to start. And then, like, maybe there's another one. And then another one after that. So it's something that kind of builds and grows over time as well. It's not just like a, a one and done. It's a relationship that lasts for a long time and, and it should be treated as such, not just a, it shouldn't be transactional in nature as, as much as you can avoid that. Business is always somewhat transactional. Makes sense. I had this other question ready and trying to call what it was. Okay. You have a thread. Mm-hmm. Incredible anonymous insights. <laughs> yeah. Let's share a couple fun incredible anonymous insights, just things that you found that are just really interesting in terms of like, who would have thought that? So we already talked about like TikTok yeah. version windows as one interesting one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know TikTok age is another interesting one uh, that I think you said the average 80% of TikTok orders, TikTok attributed orders come from people over the age of 30. Yeah, that was, so that was for a specific brand, but yes, that's a, okay. uh, yeah. And that's that, a point. That's a definitely that's an important nuance. Yeah. <laughs> that's important nuance. I don't think we actually have age data at the moment that's like representative of the ecosystem, but certainly like some brands are asking that. So yeah, they're the one brand we work with. The vast majority of their TikTok customers were 45 plus, which was like, this is insane. I didn't like, you would think that those people aren't on TikTok, but they are. You just have to have the right ads and the right messaging to reach those people. So yeah, that's a really interesting one. There was one too, like somebody was running a survey to try to understand uh, how customers were using their products and don't quote me on that because i'm i'm doing this off of memory and i i could be totally wrong on the numbers but basically like the the majority of people were 
buying their uh, artwork, right? So the majority of people were buying for their bathroom. And then what was interesting was like the, the average order value was much higher for people buying for like their living room or work office than it was for their their bedroom or their bathroom. So just like an interesting thing where it's like, okay, if you understand the purpose of somebody buying a product and how they're going to use it, that's actually going to have a massive impact on how much they spend on that product, which specific product they buy, all of that kind of stuff. So that's really interesting. Yeah, even that's just asking one. just generally, like, are you buying this for personal for per for, for work? Yeah, for, for work. I got yeah. that. Messed up the, the first letters of all those words there, but yeah, <laughs> for sure. Uh, on that note, that we actually have a brand we work with who they sell. Well, they sell a lot of different products, but one of their pieces of their business is custom hats, and so it's like large bulk orders, right? Large relative. Let's call it twenty plus hats. So they have people who are buying hats on their website one off. And then they're actually showing the hat purchasers a survey saying, hey, are you associated with the business and do you want more information? And if so, do you want more information about our custom hats? And when somebody says yes, they then actually trigger like a whole engagement flow with that customer. So like that's another really interesting one that I've seen where to, to your point of like business versus consumer, uh, sometimes the numbers, like the aggregate numbers matter less than like, can you can you connect the right person to the right place with that information? So that that's a really interesting one where you see like, okay, some people are going to be connected to a business. Some people are going to be connected to or are just going to be shopping for themselves. But if you can get them the buyer to the right location, they can end up spending a whole lot more money. So yeah, that's a really interesting one. One that, that I think is really cool that uh, is really overlooked from the data that we have, and this is hundreds of thousands of people answering this question every month, Less than 40% of people buy a product within a week of discovering that product. Across all all respondents to that question. Mm -hmm. Like hundreds of thousands of respondents to that question. The majority of people take more than a week to make their first purchase. If you were to look in Google Analytics for almost every website, it's going to tell you 48 hours is when most people purchase. So it's just interesting to see like there's definitely a massive difference between like the digital data we have and like people's actual buying journeys. So, and that's like totally true for some people. Some people see an ad, click the ad, buy the ad in a day. That definitely does happen, but that's happening less than most people think it is in the the context of ad, online advertising. Yeah, unrelated, I'll have to show you sometime one of these new G4 dashboards we built that has like a really cool event log. Yeah. Shows like the duration between every step in the events. And- Oh, that's cool. It's I actually, yeah, I mean, <laughs> a bit of a tangent, but I actually, I really would love that because I think GA4 is like so misunderstood, I don't know if misunderstood is the right word. Underappreciated, maybe. Underappreciated, for sure. Like, I looked at it and I was like, what is this? I hate it. <laughs> and that's been the <laughs> feedback I've heard from most people too, because you're just used to using something a certain way. But like Google wouldn't be, well... It's unlikely they would be sunsetting the old product in favor of this one unless it was actually better. So yeah, I would kind of like to Apple with USB-C. They're just like kind of forcing <laughs> everyone to like get used. It's better to try to test where the experts right. can do it. Yeah, exactly. So, and I, it, yeah, it'd be awesome to see that. And obviously like that could be a massive problem for brands over the next year is how do we transition? So, cool. I think, uh, do one quick bonus question just to at least 
revisit one thing I said we'd revisit yep. just before we wrap. But what was your very first WordPress extension? Yeah, good question. So it was a, it was a plugin called a menu cart. And literally, I'll tell you how I built the thing. So I was on the WooCommerce forum and somebody was like, hey, I want to add a shopping cart to the menu of my website. And there's a bunch of people answering like, I want that, I want that, I want that. And so I just made it. <laughs> and then uh, it's like a super simple little plugin dropped. Like, I think I dropped a link into the forum. I post, I published it in like the, the WordPress app store. And within, the, and it was just a free version. But I, I think I was getting like 10 downloads a day within a couple of months and just grew from there. Um, I had a, a guy from the Netherlands who reached out to me and was like, hey, have you ever thought about, is his name? He, he was like, hey, have you ever thought about making a paid version? Like I was thinking about that. And so we, we literally just like spent, I don't know, 20 hours between the two of us just like busting out a paid version of this thing, published it for $15 for a one-time purchase. And we started making money. And within like a few months, it was like hundreds of dollars a month and then thousands and just kind of went from there. So yeah, it, the internet's crazy, man. Like one little thing can have a massive impact. And it was, I think today, it's like 100,000 plus websites that it's installed on. So 100,000, um, you said? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's the, the free version. So the paid version is probably, I don't know, five or 10,000 in total. So yeah. Not a bad first project. No, it was because you had a problem in mind. So I was like, I need this and I'm done. And it so. wasn't even my problem. It was just like, some people are like, it I'm having this problem. Yeah. And I was like, well, that's easy to fix. It can literally be that simple sometimes. Yeah. Why not? Don't ever sure. do it. Yeah. Cool. Well, where is, so it's no commerce. Some people might put a W in there yeah. on accident. So yeah. where are you on Twitter? And then where's no commerce flip on the internet? Yeah. So I'm. Jeremiah Prummer, my first and last name. I'm sure you'll see that in here. Just all one word on both Twitter and LinkedIn. No Commerce is K-N-O-C-O-M-M-E-R-C -E on both Twitter and LinkedIn as well. There's no E. Yeah. K-N-O-C-O-M-M-E-R-C-E. -E. Yes. I, I, okay. I, I don't know if I heard it. it. Yeah. Okay. No, I think you're right. <laughs> okay. So yeah, it's the, it's it's uh, no without the W. Yeah, we just Yeah, exactly. We shortened it, made it cooler created a cool logo just trying to do something fun with it so yeah cool. uh, well, it's been a blast thank you yeah, Jeremiah. thanks man and definitely let's chat more about what you're working on too in terms of the the ga force i need to learn more about that amazing that closes out this conversation with jeremiah Prummer from no commerce i had a blast hope you had as much fun as i had at recording it while you listen to it three takeaways from me and we'll be moving on the first one is the story of his first product catching speed and why that happens. And this is something I say all the time on this show, products that exist around a well-defined problem and the existing market, both in terms of existing demand for that type of solution, as well as existing place to distribute and get the word out about the solution for that problem to a group of people who already know about it, just leads to things happening so much more quickly. I cannot keep hammering that takeaway on enough episodes. The second takeaway for me, is how attribution is a really big challenge for online brands. But with no commerce, it really tells a story how much can be learned just by asking people questions. So a lot of people make attribution out to be this kind of monster, like you have no idea, you know, where sales came from, how people find your brand, why they bought your stuff. But what Jeremiah is proving, it's kind of straightforward. It's just if you ask people basic questions all the time, or and when I say that, I mean, like with a deliberate strategy for doing so, which again, a company like no commerce helps you with, you can learn a ton and make the black box a little less ambiguous. 
final takeaway for me is the focus on one to many sales. You know, sometimes you can sell just to one person who may or may not be able to buy it. And best case scenario, they can buy it for just them, their one company, right? Jeremiah is instead of focusing on how you can sell to a bunch of people at once, right? How do you sell to one person that has the potential for that one person to bring you 50 customers and effectively be, you know, 50 times more effective with growing your business. So that's something I've been thinking about a lot after having listened to this conversation and participated in it. That is everything from me for this conversation with Jeremiah Prummer. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I've said that a couple of times now. Anyway, if you want more from the Lewis and Kyle show, be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening. Leave a review if you're feeling super appreciative and want to tell us what you think. Otherwise, we'll be back in about a week with a new episode. Thanks so much for listening. Have a good one and I will see you there. Bye-bye.